I'm Alex Mito. And I'm James Milley. And this is The Artist Business Plan, your favorite weekly business podcast for artist entrepreneurs, hosted by Superfine Art Fair. What's going on, business artists? You are listening to The Artist Business Plan, which means that you are certifiably awesome. If you don't know me by now, my name is Alex Mito. I'm the CEO and co-founder of Superfine Art Fair. We're the most widespread art fair for artists in the U.S., and we're one of the top resources for all things art, artist, and marketing of your art. Today, we've got David Marie Sharp here with us on the mic. David is going to share an awesome masterclass with you today on how to thrive financially as an artist. I don't know about you, but I am so excited to hear what he has to say. But first, I've got an amazing offer here for you ABP listeners. Artists, have you ever felt anxious, alone, and not sure about the next move for your career? Good news, those days are over. For nearly six years, we've taken thousands of hours to develop the best art fair model for artists out there. Superfine art fairs have helped hundreds of artists just like you take control of their careers, build relationships with collectors, and create the art income and freedom that you deserve. For a limited time, we are offering you the chance to not only get a great discount on your booth, but also appear on this very podcast as a special guest reaching thousands of artists, art influencers, collectors, and arts professionals every day. To find out how you can take advantage of this incredible opportunity, just visit www.superfine.world offer to learn more. We can't wait to welcome you to the Superfine community and start helping you sell more art today. All right, so we are back here with David Maurice Sharp, and we're ready to change the way you think about your art career. David Maurice Sharp is the author of The Thriving Artist, Saving and Investing for Performers, Artists, and the Stage and Film Industries. In 2014, he was named a money hero for his work in financial literacy for artists by Money Magazine. David currently teaches at HB Studio in New York City and frequently does workshops for the Actors Fund, Music Cares Foundation, and the SAG After Foundation. He danced for Mimi Garrard, Dance Theater, Lucinda Childs, Rachel Lampert, and Anna Sokolow, among others, and his choreography has been performed at venues like Lincoln Center, La Mama, Edinburgh Fringe Festival, New York Fringe Festival, Soho Rep, and Ensemble Studio. David is also a consulting director for Prime Clerk, specializing in the U.S. and international restructurings. Welcome to the Artist Business Plan, David. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It's such a pleasure. And that is an impressive bio. I love the term money hero. Tell us about what did it feel like to get that uh, recognition? It was actually really fantastic. And, and one of the interesting things that I found out about it in, in being interviewed for that, the, it originally started where they were looking for what they called a money hero in each of the 50 states in the US. And so I was submitted for to represent New York originally. When the reporter called me, um, she said, you know, of all of the people that were submitted in every state in the union, you were the only one that was addressing artists and artists and their finances. There was nobody else in all of the submissions that were covering that, which I found very interesting and kind of sad in a way, because obviously we could use the, the help in that. They didn't use me for New York, but then they gave me the next month the Money Hero Award just on my own, which I thought was really, I was very honored to receive it. And, and I was glad to see that artists are being recognized more for being people that can benefit from understanding their finances. Uh, so I think that if, to the extent that that helped, I was also very pleased about that. 
Yeah, I, I love that. I love that the kind of the, the financial media world is paying attention to the reality that artists need to be financially literate and have an idea of, you know, have, have a good, strong grasp of all of these concepts. And that's really cool. And like, I think, you know, we'll talk more about it as we go through the podcast. And that's kind of the general topic of this show. But a lot of great artists, I mean, like Salvador Dali, Picasso, these people that, you know, many, many look up to, were financially literate and did have a really good grasp of the business side of their art. So I think the idea that artists don't is sort of a more modern convention. And I think it's nice to dispel that. I'm glad to have you on here to do that with us today. Agreed. Agreed. 100%. <laughs> cool. So and that's a good seg because my first question is really, in your opinion, where does this feast or famine mentality come from for artists? That's kind of a complicated issue that artists have, right? And and part of it, I believe, comes from there is this sort of pervasive idea that artists aren't supposed to understand finances and artists should be, you know, there's this almost romanticized idea of the starving artist, right? You know, you're suffering for your art and that's how great art is created. All of those factors sort of feed into that idea that we're not supposed to understand what's going on. The other problem I've, I've found, particularly here in this country, but it also goes outside of the United States, is that the information, there's a lot of good financial information that's out there, but virtually none of it is geared towards the lifestyle that artists live. So it's very complicated. Artists first have to understand the concept of what they're talking about in terms of finances, which can be like learning another language. And then once they understand it, they have to kind of figure out how to apply it to the, the circumstances that they find themselves living in, which I think adds so much complication that sometimes it's easier to just kind of turn away from it than not. There's this romanticized idea of the starving artist and almost a pride in not being, oh, I'm not a finance person, or I'm not a money person. And like, and that to some extent, I mean, like, you know, you're going to have your, your concentration, the thing that you really focus on. But knowing what you are reaching for and being able to quantify that is something that is, is so valuable. And I think that's a, what we're here to talk about. So with that in mind, how do we control our mindset and place it towards abundance instead of kind of more of a poverty mindset, that starving artist mentality? Right. The starving artist mentality is a lot of what goes into that is this whole feast or famine mentality that we find ourselves in, right? And a lot of that is because of the nature of the work that we do, um, which is basically gig-based, right? So there are years where what we could consider to be our lean years, where we're not making as much money um, and we're sort of struggling. When we then get into sort of the more lush years, our immediate idea is, oh, let me spend as much as I can because I can enjoy having all of this. And then we're going to cycle back into another lean year. And it is very cyclical. It's it's generally not a sort of steady up uphill progress. It's, it's definitely in fits and starts where we have lean versus lush. One of the ways to get a, around that I have found, which has been very helpful to me, is to do something which I call pay yourself a paycheck. And the way you do that is the first thing you do is calculate out your, what I call your monthly nut, which is how much it costs to get you through any given year. Once you know what that amount is, whenever you're making any income from any source whatsoever, put it all into one account, generally a savings account, because you, even though the interest currently is, is very minuscule, at least it's a little bit, right? Put it all in there. Once a month, pay yourself a paycheck. And the, pay, the amount of your paycheck is your monthly nut, right? If just getting paid once a month 
doesn't work for you, you could always split it in half and pay yourself twice a month with half of that. But what this does is it sort of tricks you into being like an employee of a company, right? Where you're getting the same amount of income every month in the months that you're earning more than you need to cover your monthly pay, your monthly nut, you're accumulating extra funds. And in the months that you can then borrow against in the months that you're not making so much. So it does really prevent you from sort of getting into that. I have the money, let me spend it. I don't, why didn't I wait and save it? So that's one thing that I've found to be incredibly helpful. And when people have applied that, that's really helped them sort of get a, a handle on their finances and start moving forward um, with becoming more abundant. The other thing is we, we have this idea of investing, unfortunately, which is that we're kind of throwing money into this abyss when we invest, right? And we're kind of hoping that something good happens out there, but we're not 100% sure it will. And, you know, it's all kind of murky out there. And if we can change our mentality and start thinking about our investments and our assets that we're building as being employees of ours, right? And the great thing about these employees is that they work 24-7. You don't have to listen to them complain. You don't have to feed them. You don't have to give them vacation. They're just going to be chugging away for you. That can really help sort of turn the idea around so that these are something, the assets that you're investing in are helping you rather than hurting you. And to do all that, you, as I said, the advice out there is really good. It's just finding a way to apply it to yourself. We all as artists have to find sort of a pathway into our empowerment with investing so that we can use it to support ourselves. I really love both of those, but I want to kind of circle back to the first things. I think it's really interesting. And, and it's actually a question posed to me by a friend recently who's a DJ and a comedian. And he was actually just on my other podcast. He's like, you know, how do I organize my business? And do I pay myself? What do I do? You know, so, and this feast or famine thing is really true, whether it's visual artists, DJs. I mean, you might get an amazing commission that just like, you know, is more money than you've ever made in one month. You might get a, you're a DJ, you get an amazing gig that's more than you've ever made. But then you have months, like maybe seasonal factors, like summer, winter, maybe it's just like not a good month, maybe you're working on creating your art that month, and it's a famine month, right? But you get around that, you know, what you said, David, is you treat yourself like an employee, you put your money into an account, and then you pay yourself either monthly or twice a month. And then you start to learn how to actually manage that income and, you know, manage yourself as a business rather than just as an individual who's like randomly getting different sums of money. I think that also brings some clarity to what you need to do to reach your goals. So you can have your your monthly nut, which is what you're currently spending and what really takes for you to live right now. But then you might say, okay, like, you know, what if I had, I'm, I'm pulling this from a four hour work week. What if I wanted a really nice car and I wanted to add an extra per month to my monthly nut, what would it take for me to do that? What you're saying about kind of treating yourself as a business and treating yourself as an employee of that business is a great way to take the bull by the horns and, and really get a handle on your finances. Exactly, exactly. And it also, it means that you're going to start accumulating wealth. Everybody that I know that has taken that approach comes back later and says, I actually am accumulating assets and extra cash that I can now invest in other things, which are going to help me even more. Yeah. And we all want to accumulate extra cash and invest in things that are exciting and fun, like real estate. And it's not necessarily just like throwing money into stocks. There's a lot of different ways to invest. You have to figure out which one is personal to you and which one makes sense to you. Absolutely. Yeah. Awesome. 
So David, you came from a performing background. So as a performer yourself, what shifted for you to start considering how to help others take control of their financial freedom? As you mentioned, I was a modern dancer for many years, like 20 years here in New York. And not surprising to you or anyone else, modern dancers are not, in fact, some of the most highly compensated artists. So I was always kind of, you know, really working gig to gig, trying to figure out, you know, what other things I could do to supplement my income. I really wanted to feel a little bit more stability in my career and not feel like I was living month to month or even sometimes week to week that I could have some stability. Um, and that got me thinking about, you know, what other ways can I make money that aren't going to be as taxing and aren't going to take as much of my time. I also was fortunate enough to land a temp gig at a Wall Street firm. So I was able to start learning about stocks and bonds and the markets and mutual funds and things like that. And I was like, oh, that could be an interesting pathway in because it's a way of, of creating some sort of passive income that can help supplement the other things that I'm doing. I will tell you, Alex, the very first investment that I made, a mutual fund that invested in bonds, was one of the most terrifying moves that I had to make. Because at that time, you couldn't do it online. You had to do it you know, by writing this really big check, which probably at that time was like $1,000, which seemed like an enormous sum of money to me, send it off to invest in this thing that I wasn't really clear on. But once I got over that first hurdle, it became much easier later on to find other things and to, and to see how those other assets worked for you much more strongly than your the money that you have sitting in a bank account. The other thing that I began to see was as I built my assets and, and they became large enough that they were starting to help me sort of have a more stable lifestyle, I was then able to make choices as an artist, which weren't strictly dependent upon how much money I was going to make from them. I was allowed to, I could take on choreography projects or 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 dance in works of choreographers that were their signature pieces that maybe didn't pay me as much, but were incredibly rewarding as an artist and moved me forward as an artist. And that was a really important component to that whole picture for me too. The other thing I just want to sort of preface it with is, is a lot of people think, okay, I have to do this in building this sort of what I call a financial wellness plan. I do it and that's it. And if I make a mistake, I'm, I'm in trouble. And we need to dispel that idea too. I always tell people, when you're building your financial wellness plan, you're going to be growing a tree over your lifetime, right? And it's constantly changing and you're constantly changing what that tree needs, as opposed to thinking of it as carving a mar statue out of marble, which once it's done, it's solid, it lasts forever. So really think of this as more of an organic growing thing that is going to change and grow with you over time. Yeah, I really love that way of looking at it, right? It's malleable. It's something that will change. And, you know, the very fact of you taking the initiative to do it and to have a, a financial plan the, is the big step. And rather than getting hung up and bottlenecking on like, whether it's perfect, or whether you have every tiny little thing figured out in your retirement and every, you know, every little thing, because that's what stands in the way of us sitting down with ourselves for an hour, or sitting down with a professional like yourself for a couple hours, and actually making this plan. And I wanted to comment on the second thing you said, about how once you saw this financial path, you had done some investments, you got over that fear, you actually found yourself able to take on more passion projects, not less. That really brought up a, um, a saying in my head, which is learn the rules well, so you can break them well. And we often forget that, you know, we often want to be like, so creative and so 
off the cuff shoot from the hip that, you know, we end up like just always in this perpetual cycle of like either not feeling financially free or just generally being stressed out, you know, knowing what, where you stand, knowing what you need to make, knowing what you are making and, you know, all of these things actually helps you free up that space to be like, you know what, I just want to do this thing. This is fun. Rather than just being on the receiving end of emails and invitations all the time, taking things that don't pay you enough, and then finding yourself stressed out, it's better to see, you know, have this sort of inventory of where you're at, and then make the decisions break the rules at that point. I hope I'm not paraphrasing too much on that. Exactly. No, you're exactly right. And it's, it's incredibly empowering. And it, and it's not there's also this illusion that you have to you're going to have to dedicate tremendous amounts of time to doing this. And, and you don't, there's many ways that you can set up your finances to work for you. Because let's face it, when we're doing our artwork, we're too busy to be focused on that. And the idea behind this is, is to create a financial wellness plan that is going to support our art, not work against it. Guys, you want to create a plan that supports your art and doesn't work against it. I love that. And we're going to come right back. David is going to tell you more about what you want to know about financial planning for artists and much more. But first, a message from our sponsors. New York City, San Francisco, Los Angeles, and yes, Miami. These are just a few of the places where you and your art can meet your next collector when you take the next step and exhibit with us at Superfine Art Fairs. For nearly six years, we've taken thousands of hours to develop the best art fair model for artists out there. Superfine Fairs have helped hundreds of artists just like you take control of their careers, build relationships with collectors, and create the art income and freedom that you deserve. For a limited time, we're offering you the chance to not only get a great discount on your booth, but also appear on this very podcast as a special guest, reaching thousands of artists, art influencers, collectors, and arts professionals every day. To find out how you can take advantage of this incredible opportunity, just visit www.superfine.world offer to learn more. Don't miss the chance to be a part of the top business artist community in the world. And we are back with David Marie Sharp. So David, your book, The Thriving Artist, provides a detailed review of financial planning for artists. And although you focus on stage and screen industry artists, it's really all connected. And we, you know, everybody needs money to create art, including all of our visual artists listening today. Is there a comprehensive way that artists can start investing so that they have that flexibility and they, they're not living paycheck to paycheck or gig to gig? Yes. As I said before, the, the regular financial advice that's out there, which I usually refer to as the, the advice for ordinary or regular people, isn't as applicable to those of us in the arts. The sort of conventional wisdom is focus all of your investments in your later life or your retirement accounts, right? Because you want it to be tax protected and everything and don't worry about it. Now, let's think about the reason that they tell the ordinary people that is because the expectation is that they're working a regular job. And they have a regular steady income so they can throw everything into retirement assets to be used later. For us, because we might want to be tapping into these assets now, it's better to be simultaneously building up assets that are outside of our retirement accounts at the same time that we are putting some money aside for later life and for retirement. Even though we would like to be doing our art forever, it's good to have some money sort of squirreled away for that. When we focus on our assets that we're building outside of retirement, there are a lot of different kinds of assets that produce income, right? You have, um, as you mentioned, real estate is one that you can 
earn income from. Bond investments are ones that you earn interest from and regular payments on. They're also known as fixed income. There's certain kinds of stock that issue dividends regularly, which are another form of payment. So to the extent that we can build up those kinds of assets outside of our retirement, we can eventually create what they call a passive income stream, where you have some income that's being given to you from these assets. Now, normally you would want to have that reinvested. And by reinvesting, it means that when if they pay dividends, they pay interest, they're going to put it back into buying more of what that asset is that's generating it. That lets you take advantage of this wonderful concept called compounding, which means that as you reinvest in more of the asset, the asset then the next time it's paying interest or dividends is able to pay even more. Those get reinvested so it becomes even bigger so you can pay even more. It's like a snowball rolling down a hill. The further down the hill it goes, the bigger it can get. That also means that if there's times like during our lean months that we need some extra income, we can always turn off that reinvestment and have that income sent directly to us. So I think that can be a really important approach to these investments that you're making that's a little bit different than what conventional wisdom tells the sort of regular or ordinary people. And that's one thing I think that paralyzes not only visual artists and performing artists, but I think also entrepreneurs, speaking from experience, we weren't trained to have an IRA and have a retirement account. So even hearing the words scares us. We're like, oh my God, 401k, what is that? I don't have one. So the idea of sitting down with a financial advisor and have, being treated as, let's say, a quote unquote normal person, it's a scary thought. So approaching it the way you're approaching it with the specific considerations that that apply to artists. For one, I think that's really neat. And I like the idea that, you know, someone who's, let's say, working a normal job, retiring at 55 or 60, what they might want from their investments is a lot different from what we might want from our investments. So that idea of simultaneously building up assets outside of your retirement, like maybe having the retirement fund going on at the same time, but building up your assets outside of that is super cool. And then the idea of compounding assets, reinvesting in assets, and then it pays you more as you go, but also the ability to turn off that reinvestment when you need to, if, for example, you need a little bit more disposable cash at one point. I think that's a really nice piece of advice for everyone listening. And I really hope everyone, myself included, goes back and listens to David's response to that question a little more thoroughly again, because there's a lot of value in it. Yeah. And and I'll tell you just a quick story, Alex, that I've had it twice with either a financial advisor or a broker, I've had discussions where they've said, you know, why are you investing in that kind of an asset? You know, it's generating income, but you should do that when later on and blah, blah, blah. And I was always like, you know, you're not understanding my circumstance. You have to think about the fact that I have sporadic income and this is generating for me a source of income that I'll be able to use. When I was writing the book, I stopped working. And the only thing I did was work on writing the book, right? I was able to use a couple of those assets that I had built up, stop reinvesting them and have, you know, several hundred dollars a month sent to me from those assets, which I was able to use to pay some bills at the time when I wasn't working at all and wasn't working by choice, right? The great benefit of that was I wasn't killing the goose that lays the golden egg, right? I was keeping the asset intact and just using what it was throwing off in terms of income. And then as soon as I finished the book and started working again, I started having them reinvested so that those assets have grown even more and are putting off even more income now. 
that I could use again in future if I chose to do so. Yeah, I love that. And then I think specifically that applies to artists because to have the periods of creativity, you often do need to detach from some of the fun. I mean, and we're, you know, we're a podcast about marketing for artists. We produce art fairs all over the United States. If you're in three or four super fine fairs, which many of our artists are, one of our artists who's actually an amazing business artist, his name is Sean, he participates in three to five fairs per year, but then he kind of goes off the grid for a couple months, works, creates his work, and then comes back and does shows again. And being able to have some assets that maybe aren't art sales so that you don't have to be like the art salesperson for the months that you're actually creating the work is an amazing thing to do. And whether that's a house that you rent out or whether that's, you know, uh, stocks and bonds, whatever it may be, there's a lot of options out there, but it's a really cool idea, especially for artists to be able to pull a little bit of income during times when you're actually creating your work rather than selling it. Exactly. Exactly. So I want to move on to one topic that is, is scary for a lot of people and that's taxes. So let's get down to the taxes. Do you recommend that artists hire any kind of specialized accountant for their taxes or do you have any or, and or do you have any recommendations for finding one? Yeah, I think it's absolutely crucial that artists have a tax person that understands the field that they're in because otherwise you're not going to be taking advantage of any potential deductions and things like that that you need. So it's absolutely crucial to have someone. I would say the same thing applies to a financial advisor. You need, if you decide to go the route of having a financial advisor, you definitely want someone who understands the lifestyle that you live and the field that you're in. Otherwise, you're going to get a formula applied to you that doesn't apply to the lifestyle that you live. So it's incredibly important because you're going to benefit from their knowledge of your industry. I know there are a lot of organizations and not-for-profit organizations that support the various disciplines of the arts. Usually they have some contacts with tax professionals that are specific to that industry. So in the performing arts, I work a lot, um, as you mentioned, with the Actors Fund and with the SAG-AFTRA Foundation. Both of them sponsor events and information about tax professionals who are specifically attuned to the life of a performing artist. Uh, Music Cares does the same thing for musicians. So I would look first to those organizations to see if they have recommendations for tax professionals that understand the situation that you're in. The other thing that I, I like to point out is, you know, there can be some fear when you start investing in these assets and you think, okay, they're producing income, they're producing interest, they're producing dividends, they may be producing rental income that could affect my taxes in a way that's going to put me at a disadvantage. The way the tax laws are currently written, which I don't expect them to change, most of the income that you receive from invested assets is taxed at a much lower rate than the rate of taxation on the money you earn working. And that's really important to understand. So you're paying much higher taxes on the money that you make working than you will be paying, for the most part, on income that is produced by these assets that we're talking about, whether it's stocks, bonds, real estate, et cetera, et cetera. And that's an important quirk in the tax code here that, again, it's not going to be changed and we should absolutely be taking advantage of that. I love that little bit of information. Like, don't be afraid of investing because you think you're going to be hit on the taxes because you won't be taxed as much for the investments as you are for the money you make working on your income. And also, I want to add one thing. So for visual artists out there who maybe are looking for a way to find an accountant that specializes in what they do, one good place to look would be other successful visual artists. 
So often accountants take, I mean, many, I mean, almost all accountants take many, many clients. So you're not going to be taking someone's accountant. So you can go and ask, you know, another artist, maybe who's a little more established or someone you know, you know, is doing very well, maybe ask them, they have a recommendation for you, because that could be a really good way to find somebody who understands your specific considerations. Cool. So David, this has been an incredible conversation, but we're about to close it up here. Let's bring it home for our listeners out there. Is, is there a call to action that you want to share with our listeners so they can take advantage of what you do? I do. Dare yourself to thrive in your art. We are so conditioned to not believe that we should be successful. Know that you can. You absolutely have the ability to be able to get your investments and your assets to work for you and to help you thrive as an artist. Enjoy that. Empower yourself and allow yourself to do that. It will truly change the way you approach your art and the feeling of security that you have within it. To all of you business artists out there listening, David has been here with us today sharing his amazing perspective with all of you. You're definitely, definitely going to want to go back and take notes on this episode, which you can do on our website at www.superfine.world. To connect with David, you can follow him at David Maurice Sharp on Instagram and visit www.davidmauricesharp.com for more info and to buy his book, The Thriving Artist. As always, remember that we are Super Fine Art Fair on Instagram, and we always appreciate it when you share stories, posts about the artist business plan whenever you're listening to us. And we always appreciate also if you can go on Apple Podcasts, which is our main listening platform, and give us a rating, a review. It takes just a couple seconds, but it really helps other artists find what we and our guests tell you about. As always, I want to wrap up the class by sharing a quick quote with you all. And today that quote is, build your own dreams or someone else will hire you to build theirs. And that is Farrah Gray. David, it has been such a pleasure having you with us today. Thank you for sharing your perspective with our listeners. We're super grateful to you. Thank you, Alex, for inviting me. This is great. You're very welcome. Everybody else, have an awesome rest of your day. Remember to stay on top of your artist business plan, get out there and make it happen. Thanks for joining us for another episode of The Artist Business Plan, a weekly business podcast for artist entrepreneurs brought to you by Superfine Art Fair. Hosted by Superfine CEO Alex Mito and co-founder slash professional artist James Milley, join us and leaders in the art, marketing, and business arenas each week for tips, tricks, and value bombs designed to help you thrive and sell more art. For more information on applying to Superfine Art Fair, as well as recordings of this in all of our past podcasts, just visit www.superfine.world. We love to hear what you have to say, so just follow us on Instagram at superfineartfair and shoot us a message to let us know you're listening. Looking for a more personal connection or want to exhibit at an upcoming fair? Just shoot us an email at artistsmakingmoney@superfine.world and we'll get right back to you. That's artistsmakingmoney@superfine.world. at superfine.world.